Live from New York City, this is War Stories, life on planet Earth. Every day we have choices, difficult choices, the choice to fight or the choice to run. We all have war stories, these are ours. This is Personal War Stories, life's a battlefield. Join us as we tackle the personal struggles we face each and every day. Food, fitness, relationships, family values, business, society, pop culture, sports, politics, religion, and yes, much, much more. Renowned industry leaders and disruptive thinkers, my name is Steve Budin, and by my side, my trusted co-host is Don Ravid. Join us today as we reflect, rant, laugh, and learn, all while we tackle life's endless battles from their most unconventional perspectives. Ready? Here we go. Well, let's not waste any more time, Adon. Let's get right into the topic of our podcast today. Guys, it's on everybody's mind, especially with summer upon us. It's weight loss. Adon, you handle most of the, I would call, the most elite athletes in basketball, both men's and women. And a lot of people look at these athletes. They see they have perfect bodies. Um, They look to someone like you who's behind them doing the training, working them out. Um, How much of it is genetics, how much of it is hard work, and how much of it is a combination of both? It's a great question. I think uh, it just matters on the person. So you can look at an athlete like Carmelo Anthony, and the truth is if he wasn't very mindful about his diet, wasn't very disciplined, he could weigh a lot. You look at someone like LeBron James, who I've always said, um, you know, God made Michael Jackson, Madonna, Picasso, and LeBron. I mean, the guy could have fried ice cream every day and still look like Hercules. He just has a very, very special gift. But for most civilians, uh, I've always said it comes down to pretty much one thing, and that one thing is discipline. So I want to share with you an interesting story that uh, magnifies why I think discipline is such a big deal in this whole weight weight loss uh, phenomenon. So I made a guest appearance on this show on ABC called The Revolution. And uh, they asked me to come on and talk about exercises that people could do at work. So when I finished my scene, uh, they had another guest there who was an editor at a famous women's health magazine. And she was talking about things that you could eat at work. So she was sitting behind a desk and she opened up her drawer and she took out a bag of almonds and she told the live audience, if you guys want to lose weight, you need to eat almonds. Have these 7,000 calories. Right. So when I heard that, I wanted to say, shut the fuck up (laughs) because it had nothing to do with almonds. If we had the discipline to only eat four almonds, we wouldn't be fat asses. So the point is, is that it's not the almond, it's not the banana, it's the discipline issue that we do not have the discipline to be able to count out four almonds. So this idea of the snack food and that's that, that's not it. It's the issue of we need to teach ourselves to be disciplined people. And once we become disciplined people, the weight loss slowly disappears. It's, a, it's an interesting uh, point. And I think a lot of us out there, myself included, always wondered, you know, the ratio between diet and exercise. And I think that's what you're really getting at. Is it about what's in your desk or what your lifestyle is? Because a lot, a lot of times with these basketball players, just to bring it back for a second, you talk about a LeBron James. He could eat anything he wants. And he'll always look the way he looks. But does that eventually catch up to him? Because I look at a player like Rick Mahorn, who when he was in the league, he was felt, he was was in perfect condition. He was a big guy, but a strong guy. You look at him now, he's 400 pounds, sweating, and it looks like he's about to die when he does an interview. So will it catch up to LeBron the way it caught up to Rick Mahorn, or are some guys just immune to it? I think it 
again, the, the answer is tough because I think it depends. So a lot of times I'll see these young athletes and they'll tell me that their agents and their teams have hired nutritionists and dietitians and all that stuff. And I, my response is that stuff really doesn't matter when you're 20 years old. So when I've worked with a lot of really special young athletes, they could have cotton candy for breakfast. They could have fried ice cream for lunch. They could have seven uh, churros with ice cream for later. It doesn't affect their performance. When you become 34 years old, those questions start, those issues start to happen. But what I do think that establishing diet does at an early age, it creates a discipline to your life. It's like making your bed. So if you're responsible enough to say, I'm going to watch my calorie, I'm going to watch my food intake at 19, I can assure you, you'll probably play a longer life and have a more established, more mature, more uh, fruitful professional existence if you decide to abide by those rules. But by no means do I think that having the apple versus the cotton candy at the age 20 years old will affect your performance as a professional basketball player. And that is where the nutrition dietitian space becomes very sort of filled with a lot of um, sorcerers and, hmm. and magic beans is because people are trying to ex say how important it is at that age. And the reality is I don't believe it is. But if you want to create structure in a young kid's life, it's like making your bed, then it does have a purpose. I think what you're really saying is that at the end of the day, add up the calories versus the amount of energy you spent, and there is your scientific formula. If the goal is weight loss. But I find that I'm not a, I'm, I'm in this performance space. So there's many people that will say, I'll help you lose 100 pounds. I'm here to help you make $100 million. Right. So I work in the performance space trying to make athletes better performers. And like I say, nutrition does matter later on in a career. But for these guys who are special beyond special, they have special genes, they, can, they don't sleep as much, they don't have to do as many things as most people do, and they'll still be spectacular. I don't think nutrition is such a big piece of the pie as everyone thinks that it is. Okay, last question of the segment, and I think this gets to the heart of it. For a lot of people listening out there, they have kids like I do, 13 years old, who are athletes. Uh, maybe they play AAU, maybe they play rec ball, maybe they're on a football team. Um, how important is their diet at 13 years old? Personally, I can tell you my son, and you know everyone's an individual, you know, he doesn't have the greatest diet. He likes grilled cheese and bacon. Uh, he, he likes uh, goldfish and not the kind that come out of the pond, the actual ones, the crackers. Um, I always tell his doctor that he, he, my son loves fish, goldfish, Swedish fish, all kinds of fish. But the truth is, is that he's very slim. He doesn't eat a lot. So if he has a grilled cheese and bacon, he's the kind of kid that'll have three bites and that's it. No French fries, nothing else. So at this time, do I push the apple or do I understand that he doesn't have an eating problem? He's not me. I'm the one that had the eating problem. I'm the one that had the two grilled cheese and bacons while I was making the grilled cheese and bacon and never left over a fry. I would never do that. I wouldn't insult, you know, the, the place that I'm at by leaving one fry on the plate. Him, he wouldn't even look at the fries. Not because he's on a diet. It's just not him. Right. And I think that I, I'm, I'm biased. I always tell my players, they're all young. Be a kid. Right. I mean, be sensible, but still be a kid. And I do not expect a 20-year-old Jalil Okafor or a 20-year-old Justice Winslow to have to eat like a 40-year-old man, right? It's just different energy requirements, different metabolism, different life. But I think that our audience would definitely like to know more about Steve's uh, eating habits. And I want, you guys don't see him right now, but he looks spectacular. <laughs> he might be on the cover of Muscle Fitness in a month. <laughs> but, you know, a couple years ago, Steve was, uh, you know, a couple pounds overweight. About 100. <clears throat> right. But the greatest story ever, and the one like I still laugh out 
whenever I think about it, laugh out loud, is Steve's late night binging making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I want him to share with you this three-minute peanut butter and jelly story. So this is classic, and this this was a a a seven-day-a-week event for me. And uh, we're up against a hard break, so I'm going to get to it quickly, and then we'll get to our sponsors. But I can tell you this. What I would do originally is try to get to the couch with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And that was hard because as I was making the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I was eating them. So I never could kind of get to the couch, which was what I ultimately wanted to do. So what I realized my best shot was first to make that peanut butter and jelly sandwich and eat it right away and just get that original craving out of the way. Then I took a piece of French bread, the real long ones, sliced it right down the middle, one of those big knives that you're supposed to cut a cake with. And I'll cut it right down the middle, Open that thing up, lay lay peanut butter on it like I'm spackling a wall, and then put the jelly on the other side, close it, and now I've got a big Subway sandwich peanut butter and jelly that takes me at least seven to eight minutes to finish, and that gets me to the couch. And that is the official peanut butter and jelly story. Guys, we're going to be right back. We're going to just hear a word from our sponsor, pay some bills. Don't go anywhere. More war stories when we return. Well, we're back. This is War Stories, Life on Planet Earth. I am Stephen Budin, your host, and I'm here with my trusted co-host, Adan Ravin. They call him the Hoop Whisperer. Steve, so I got a question for you. Not many people on this planet have lived all these different lives. You've been an overweight guy. You've been a fit guy. You've been a fit guy in an overweight body. You've been an overweight... Uh, a fit, you've been a overweight guy in a fit body. Right. So, so besides needing lithium, what yes. else? <laughs> I'm curious, what's it like, man? So the funniest thing about the whole ordeal is that even at my fattest, even at 100 pounds overweight, when I looked in the mirror, Adan, I saw what you see right now. And that actually works against you. And I'm sure a lot of fat people feel the same way. They look at pictures of themselves and they go, oh my God, I can't believe I'm that fat because they really don't know it because in their mind, they see something that nobody else sees. And that I think is a problem. Um, one of the biggest uh, things that I did in my life to, to compensate for that was uh, getting on the scale. This was something I was going to ask you about, and I don't know what you advise your athletes to do about this or not, but um, I I found that if there's one thing that will, the mirror lies, your friends lie, right? Women lie all the time, men lie, but the scale, man, the scale never lies. Now, I wouldn't recommend overdoing it, but once a day, once every two days, you have to get on that scale. Mentally, you know where you're at. And another thing for me I found is when I looked at that scale number and it wasn't where I wanted it to be, I wasn't as hungry that day as I would have been otherwise. So the mental certainly does affect the physical. Another thing I can tell you, Adon, is that, um, look, fat people, and I was one of them, they make it easy for themselves to stay fat. How do they do that? They always have an opening line. I always had an opening line when I came and met a girl or met somebody. I would say, hey, they'd say, how you doing? I'd say, oh, I just dropped 20 pounds from my belly to my ass. And ha, 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 everybody would laugh, and I felt okay. 
It made me feel easy. I was okay in my fatness. What else did I do? I wore baggy clothes. So I always felt like I had plenty of room in my clothes. And if I was wearing a tight shirt, would I still eat that extra cheeseburger with my belly hanging out of my shirt? Probably not. Who are my friends? Did I hang out with healthy people did I hang, or did I hang out with people that made me feel better about myself? Losers, guys that were either drug addicts or, 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 or had some type of, of, of lifestyle where I could say to myself, you see what I do when I eat that peanut butter and jelly sandwich late at night? Not so bad. I could be like this guy ruining my life. But you know what? I was ruining my life. Or did I have healthy friends, uh, skinny friends, friends that made me feel uncomfortable to be fat? Or did I have friends that were actually fatter than me so I was the skinny guy in the bunch. These are all the things that fat people do to make themselves feel more comfortable in their fatness. And I would argue that what they should do is reverse that trend, is put the tight shirts on, is hang out with the skinny people, hang out with the healthy people, hang out with the people who have the lifestyles that you want, not the ones that make your lifestyle look good. What say you, Adon? Well, you you raise a really interesting point. And how I always... I'm trying to think of a good way to phrase this. When you're perfect and you gain one or two pounds, you notice the difference. When you're 50 pounds overweight and you gain another 10 pounds, there's no way you'll know. So what ends up happening with people who are overweight, it's very easy just to put on lots and lots more weight because you, you can't even see where it goes. So that's why the scale is so effective, no different than the stopwatch is so effective. So you agree because that the scale, scale is... is very important, right? Like... The, the, well, people need to hear that because what you hear, a, mis- a misconception you hear all the time, don't go on the scale too much. Stay away from the scale. Right. The scale doesn't matter. It's if your clothes fit. The scale is your conscience. Yes. And I think what ends up happening is that the, the way for people to understand this is that if I ask uh, Carmelo Anthony to run a sprint in 10 seconds and he does it in 11 seconds, he looks at me and he goes, I didn't make it. Exactly. So the scale is I made it or I didn't make it. And if my perfect weight, and with my athletes, I call them, it's their, it's their game weight, their playing right. weight, their fighting, their weight. fighting weight. If it's 185 and you're 188, I can assure you during my workout, you will feel the difference with those extra three pounds. But if you're weighing 240 and you're 60 pounds overweight, what are those three pounds? You don't know. What's 20 pounds? You don't know. What's 30 pounds? You don't know. The only thing that she'll know is if you get on that scale and it says 278, you're like, oh my God, I'm 80 pounds overweight. So the scale, the stopwatch, things that are very clear are what's really helpful in putting people, uh, uh, pushing them in the right direction. And I can tell you, and I'm sure there are a lot of overweight people out there that know what I'm talking about. Um, You know, when you're 50 pounds overweight, Adon, you could also fart and lose five pounds. You can't break break your hand patting yourself on the back for losing five pounds when you're 50 pounds overweight because it's really not a big deal. Um, a lot of times, the worst thing that would happen to me is I'd lose 10 or 15 pounds. I'd see somebody that I knew, and they'd say, hey, Steve-O, you look great. Ha, huh. I was running right to Burger King after I saw them. So yeah, what, you, what you talk about discipline, you know, when you're an eater, an emotion eater, you eat on good emotions, bad emotions, all emotions. Yes. Uh, the other thing I think you have to do is you have to be able to... To, to categorize and to correctly label food as the enemy. See, a lot of people don't feel that food is the enemy, but it is the enemy. And it's more of an enemy sometimes than a cocaine or something like that. Cocaine, you can walk away from cocaine. You can say, hey, I'm never going to ingest that again. I'm going to hire people to stand as bodyguards in front of me so that no cocaine passes the line. And you can do that. 
But with food, you got to step to that table three times a day and make a good decision. How hard is that? I, I mean, it's it's impossible, right? And I think uh, the, what I always tell people, and you know, I meet I meet lots of people, sort of the position that I'm in, and oftentimes, uh, whether you overeat, whether you smoke, whether you drink too much. Oftentimes, when people are older, my answer to them is, "Hey, do you want to do you want to dance at your granddaughter's wedding one day? Do you want to dance at your son's wedding?" And the reality is, if you do, then you got to make shit change, right. right? And that's very fundamental. I don't care if you have a six pack, an eight pack, a twelve pack. Whether you want to have perfect biceps, it's not about that at all. It's about having a better life and a better lifestyle, and be able to see your grandkids grow up and be able to throw the football around with them. And if you don't watch this now, in forty years from now, you won't be around. Right, so you know, on the there's sort of a discipline issue, and then there's more of a humanitarian issue. You know, what do you want out of your life? It's interesting you say that, and 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 finally, for the last topic in this second segment, I want to pose the question about society, Adon, and you know how much the loss of freedom and the deterioration of our communities as a whole has caused. A society issue where kids are obese at a, an alarming rate more than ever before. And just to put it into perspective, Adon, because I'm a little bit older than you, you know, I'm 45, and uh, I can tell you that when I was a kid, you know, the neighborhoods were safe. And because the neighborhoods were safe, we went out and we played in the neighborhoods all day long. Uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, we went out with our bicycles and our parents told us, go as far as your bicycle will take you. And when the street lights come back on, that's when we want you back home for dinner. Now, there were no cell phones. There was no GPS tracking. There was no social media with, with, with kids checking in every second, letting everybody know where they are and what their emotion is, like everybody needs to know that. What we did was actually really have fun rather than record it. And we had a lifestyle that because society and, and because, because as a whole, the world was a safer place, that, that we were able to experience that in a way that led us to live more healthy lifestyles and to be less overweight. You just couldn't be overweight if you were riding your bicycle around all day long from end of the community to end of the community without a worry in the world. Nowadays, Adon, I've got a son 13 years old. I got to walk that kid across the street. He's six feet tall. He's bigger than me. But I got to walk him across the street because that's the kind of world we live in. How much of it is because of that? I mean, you raise a great point. It, things are not safe, but I find that when you live in New York City, um, it's a city where people measure their happiness by what they consume, whether they consume food or liquor or friendships or they go to games or what they spend. That's how they measure their ha- happiness by their consumption. So I make it a point to not measure happiness by consumption. I like to do versus eat or spend or make, right? And I think if oftentimes when I look, you know, I look at my, my sister, for example, and she's got overweight kids. And they're very community-based, but the community always represents come over and eat. Correct. It's never come over and play. It's come over on Friday night, Sabbath dinners, and we'll sit down for a full spread of chulent. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but that's some heavy-ass Jewish food right? <laughs> that put on 1,000 calories in about two seconds. But never does my sister say, hey, why don't you guys come over on Friday night, and we're going to go to the track, and we're going to go run. Or we're going to go play Twister. Or we're going to do active things. And I think it's about redefining what community is and what family is and what gathering is. It doesn't always have to be consumption. And when we redefine what consumption is, I think people start realizing, I don't have to eat this much. I don't have to sit down for it to be family. We don't have to sit down for a three-hour dinner, right? right. Sit down could be, I go to the park with my dad, we play on the swings. Yeah, and that's the so point. So family time has to be redefined. Community has to be redefined. And consumption has to be eliminated. When I was a kid, Don, I played basketball in the park. 
There are no parks anymore. You go to the park, you risk your life at that park. They're selling drugs at that park. They're doing crazy things. I would never let my kid alone there. And my kid wants to play basketball now. What, what does he do? He's in an AAU travel team that practices five days a week, that travels every weekend because there is no park option anymore. And I think that what happens is, is that parents have to realize that. And this is the problem is are the kids lazy, Adan? Or are the parents lazy? Because for the parents, how much easier is it for them to parallel play with their kids? They're on one computer. They got their kid on the other computer across from them. Big bag of Doritos in front of both of them. They know exactly where their kid is. He's safe. He's sound. And he's developing diabetes right in front of their very eyes. All right. And, and you raise a point that oftentimes parents will ask me from not a weight loss perspective, but from... Hey, Idan, will you train my son? And I'm thinking, I train the world's best professional athletes. I don't train 12-year-olds. And they'll say, but my but son— But for 2000 anything's right. possible. But, but they'll, they'll give me a number. They'll say, for a million dollars, I say, that's not what I do. But I, what I try to explain to them is that if your son was disciplined or your daughter was disciplined and they had self-reliance, well, then they would put the jump rope in front of their bed at, and get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and they would run up the stairs, and they would do push-ups, and they would ask you to go to Barnes & Noble so they could read a book about physiology, or they go on YouTube and they would find a drill to do or they, they would, would want it they would want it right so to me whether you want to become a better basketball player or a baseball player or whether you want to lose weight it's all internal self-reliance and discipline so i think that teaching kids what what discipline represents what self-reliance represents and how do you actually get what you want i think a lot of things disappear weight loss diabetes problems community crime so we've dealt with a lot of issues in these first two segments, Adon, and we've raised a lot of questions. And we're going to come back in just one minute with the answers. Once again, this is War Stories, life on planet Earth. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back, and I know it's hard to believe, but we have gotten to the final part of the show. Up until now, we've raised a lot of issues, asked a lot of questions, and now we're going to give you the answers. I'm going to give you Adon Rabin's perspective and my own First at dawn. You know, Steve, when I, when I hear you talk, I think um, it's, uh, I'm left with like a very interesting lesson, and I want you to sort of chime in and tell me as an outsider, I don't live in your body, but, you know, what do you think? So you've been a heavy guy, then you've been a skinny guy, right? You've been uh, a skinny guy in a heavy body. You've been a heavy, bo- a heavy guy in a skinny body. Right. Now, I have to imagine your relationship with food... Um, is almost like a, a, a moody girlfriend? It's a, good, it's a good question, and it's true. When I first started my weight loss and I had the surgery, I had the sleeve surgery, um, and that's how I lost the weight. I don't want to get on the air and tell everybody how through diet and exercise and vigilance and determination I looked at that pizza and I treated it like it was that girl that left me on prom night and said, stop looking at me with those pepperoni eyes, bitch. I ain't going near you anymore. No, that wasn't the case. As a last resort, after trying for 35 years, every single diet from the Atkins to, to, to counting calories, to counting carbs, to good carbs, bad carbs, indifferent carbs, I went to a last resort, which was the sleeve surgery and had a tremendous success with it. Um, I can tell you that food for me right after having the surgery was like that ex-girlfriend that you missed. And every time you saw a pretty girl walking around the corner, you'd look and say, is that her? No, that ain't her. So it was very difficult. Um, it was an emotional uh, roller coaster and journey that I had to go through, um, realizing that food was such a big part of my life. I was either eating 
or I was making my next plans to eat, or I was telling my friends about the last meal I just had, how great of a meatball I had. I could talk about a meatball like it was a chick at a club. I mean, I knew the consistency of it, the kind of sauce, whether it was Alfredo or red sauce and how many breadcrumbs they used in the meatball. I mean, it was like meatball porn and it's no way to live. So is life perfect now? No, it's not. You look at me and you think it would be. You know, I, I, I look 20 years younger than I did a year ago. I feel 20 years younger, but at the end of the day, I can't have a piece of cake with my son at his birthday party because two bites in, I'll have to throw up because my stomach is the size of a baby. I can't drink water back like you can after a nice hike where you take that big bottle of smart water and you chug it back like there's no tomorrow and you drink that whole bottle in one chug and you go, ah, I don't go, ah, anymore. I have a Slurpee. You know why I have a Slurpee? Not because it's full of sugar and caffeine. Because when you take a Slurpee and you let it melt down, only a quarter of the cup is filled with liquid. So I can drink a Slurpee fast, but that's all I can drink. So I have bacon, jerky, and Slurpee. That's my staple because that's the size of my stomach. So So I got to interrupt, Steve. Yeah. Was it worth it? Oh, yeah. Why? Because at the end of the day, you realize a few things. Number one, food doesn't have to be that important thing in your life. You know, you don't have to have 2,500, 3,000 calories a day. Actually, your body works pretty good on 1,800. And it doesn't matter how much activity you do. I'm a guy that plays two hours of basketball. Last night, I played an hour and a half of paddleball in the Miami Sun. Great game, by the way, Brazilian game. Um, and, uh, and I have about 1,600 calories a day. And it's plenty, and I've got more energy than I ever had. So less sometimes is more. So does discipline play a factor in this? Absolutely. Because what about all these people out there, Steve, who can't get surgery? What about these people who can't see uh, a gastroenterologist? What about all these people that don't have those opportunity? And that's why I say food is not that big a deal, and you need some more discipline in your life. And it's easy, I would say, as a previously fat guy talking to someone who's never been fat in his life to tell you that when your stomach is a certain size, Adon, you don't get the benefit of feeling full after a little bit of food like you do. So you have a little bit of food, and if you wait on it, you will get full. But these guys that are 50 and 60 pounds obese and overweight with big barrel stomachs, it takes us, they've gotten, they, they've, they've eaten past the point, the discipline that they practiced up until now was eating beyond the hunger, was eating long after the hunger subsided, was eating for the sake of eating, eating as a sport, eating when they didn't feel like eating. That's the only discipline they've had. And they've stretched their stomach now to a point where it's very hard to come back from that. Can they do it? Yes. And I'll leave people with this answer. And this is my best answer. There is no quick fix to anything in life, not love, not and, and certainly not weight. If you're looking for a diet that you can do immediately, every diet works. Pick a diet, I don't care. A to Z, I've done them all. Follow them to the T and they work. The problem is we don't follow them to the T because we're not willing to make lifestyle changes. If you show me a trainer that's heavy, I don't see him. Why? Because their whole life is spent in the weight room. It's their life. If you want to be thin, if you want to be in shape, Make it your life. I don't know any other way. What say you? And I think, I think you know, my uh, sort of last thoughts on this is be careful what you wish for because you might get it. And into, you know, like there, to every jelly sandwich, there's some peanut butter, right? Correct. To every pepper, there's some salt. 
And I think that while now you have a very blessed life and, you know, you're that perfect body and the cover of men's fitness in a couple of years you'll be, but there's some things you don't enjoy anymore. And I think that, uh, you know, when people are going to want to go down this route and make these sacrifices, understand it's not always going to be rosy. And I think that's a great point, but I think also, Adon, and I'll end with this, I don't know anything good in life that comes without sacrifice of some kind. And we're going to leave it on that. Once again, guys, this was War Stories, Life on Planet Earth. My name's Steve Budin, and as always, I'm with my trusted co-host, Adon Rabin. Check you next time when we'll be talking about more war stories. Life, it ain't easy for any of us. Every level of success brings another level of hardship. But that's why we're here, and that's why we created this show. To tackle the tough topics and share our experiences and opinions in the hope that it inspires you to search and ultimately find your own answers that work best for you. We'd love to hear your thoughts, stories, struggles, achievements, and even your failures. So please visit us on iTunes, Personal War Stories, Life's a Battlefield, and on our website, personalwarstories.com. Together, we'll grow our community and our awareness. Adon and I will always stay in touch. In fact, you can reach us on personalwarstories.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, Personal War Stories. Until next time, peace, love, perseverance.